Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this astonishing passage of Scripture, so rich, so precious, and so true. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would bring your word alive in our midst today, and by your Spirit, Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive this truth and to live it. And Lord, help me to preach faithfully according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an elegance to the language of Psalm 1, which I think ought to strike you from the moment that you read it. It's the way the words have been put together, the phrasing and the the movement of ideas, all point to the fact that we're dealing with something very special here. This is one of the great works of ancient literature, this poem, this work of wisdom, this song of salvation, uh, a song that serves as a perfect introduction to the book of Psalms as a whole. It's a song about the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. How are we going to live? Seems to me, as we read this psalm, it kind of draws into my mind how people must have learned things thousands of years ago before the invention of printed books or computers or anything like that. In the days when classrooms had no walls. It still happens in some parts of the world today, doesn't it? Uh, A teacher sits under a tree or next to a river and the students gather around to listen and to learn. Welcome to the classroom of life. We're looking today at Psalm 1. And as we read the psalm, I mean, can you see the tree in verse 3 yielding its fruit in season? It's right there. Do you feel the wind blowing in your face in verse 4? Bring yourself into the place where this psalm is being written and shared and taught. It's a psalm, it's it's a lesson about life, about all of life really. Because really we've only got one life to live, so how are you going to live it? Whose advice are you going to follow? What choices are you going to make? What goals do you want to achieve before you die? Life can be short unpredictable. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? Do you want to enjoy God's blessing in your life? Surely the answer to that is yes. Do you want to live a life worth living to the glory of God? Then you need to follow the way of the righteous in Psalm 1. In fact, why not make that your New Year's resolution for 2024? 
to live the best life you possibly can to God's glory. That would be a great resolution to make for the year ahead. How do you want to live your life? Who do you want to live it for? What are your goals? What's your destination? You see, there's a word in the Bible that describes a life worth living. And it's the word blessed or blessed, which just happens to be the very first word in the book of Psalms. And it's no accident that we should find it here at the beginning of this wonderful book of Psalms of praise to our God. Because this is, after all, the life that God would have you to live. He wants you to live a life that is full of blessing. Blessed is the man and blessed is the woman who lives the best life he or she possibly can. So my first point for today is about the nature of blessedness. What is blessedness? Blessedness is what makes a life worth living, I want to suggest. To put it poetically, blessedness is the sunshine of God's good favour. The sunshine of God's good favour. To be blessed means that you can truly say, the Lord has been good to me. I'm truly blessed. So let's look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. What we have here is a classic two ways to live presentation. Today we're being invited to choose the way that leads to life eternal life, to choose the way of the righteous who will stand in the assembly of the Lord at the end of time. This is invitational evangelism. You'll notice there are no commands to be found in this psalm. There are no commands in Psalm 1. Instead, what's happening is we're being invited to learn, as it were, by observation. As if to say, tell me, my friend, what do you see? Tell me, what do you make of it? Well, sir, I see a man who's out of step with the world around him. He doesn't follow their thinking. He doesn't walk in their ways. I imagine it must take quite a bit of courage to live like this because it's so countercultural. But for all that, I can see he's doing the right thing. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Well, that brings me to my second point for today about the tree. I love this picture of the tree in verse 3 because it stands as a symbol of life in an otherwise barren world. This tree is so alive, so grounded in its relationship with the soil and the deep waters that provide life. And the point is, if if you want to enjoy the fruit of God's blessing in your life, then you need to be the tree. You need to be the tree. It's no good just talking about it. You need to be the tree because this is how God's blessings are received. But now, am I willing to make the changes that are required to be made? That's the question. Because when you start to live like this, people will notice. 
People in your family, people at work, people around you will notice that there's been a change because now you're being the tree, now you're living and walking in the way of the righteous, which is countercultural to the way of the wicked. And they'll either love you or hate you for it because this is the light of Christ in you and it sets you apart in opposition to all the darkness and confusion in the world today. So come back to verse 1. Look at it again. Blessed is the man, and I say blessed is the woman, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, did you notice those three carefully chosen words there? Walk, stand, Sit. What do they mean? Tell me again, what do you see? Well, sir, I see a road, an intersection, and a seat. And I see a great crowd of people walking along the road. They're listening to their own voices. They're oblivious to the dangers that lie ahead. They're proud of their own achievements. They're walking in their own counsel. But when they get to the intersection, they stand in the way of sinners. They become increasingly hardened in their hearts against God. And then finally they sit down in the seat of mockers and begin to spit insults at those who are walking the other way. Walk, stand, sit. It's a picture of someone becoming increasingly fixed in their ways and increasingly unwilling to change. So be careful how you live. You need to decide today, what kind of person are you going to be? Who are you? Who do you want to be? What kind of husband or wife, or dare I say, what kind of son or daughter? Will I follow God's way? Or will I choose my own way? For example, will will I speak the truth no matter how inconvenient Will I honour my agreements, even to my own loss? Will I work as one serving the Lord, no matter where I am, whether I've got a corrupt boss or a good boss, whether I particularly enjoy the work or don't? Will I work as one serving the Lord, wherever he puts me? And in my own walk with the Lord, will I read my Bible and pray as God would have me to do? To feed upon him? Am I going to make that a regular practice and principle? And as a Christian, will I follow Jesus wherever he leads me? You know, what if he leads you onto the mission field? What if he leads you to some place that you thought, Lord, I never want to do that? And there you are, you find that he's calling you to do the very thing you do not want to do and you have a sense that it's God's leading. Lord, not yet, not now, send someone else. No, I want you to do it. Will you do it for me, says the Lord? Will I follow Jesus no matter where he leads? If you are willing to answer yes, then you are blessed by God. Because God's blessing is actually seen primarily in your character and your conduct. It's not the other way around. It's as you trust in him and walk with him that the blessing 
is contained within that relationship and that attitude. It's in your values, it's in your ethics and your commitment to Christ. It's the difference that sets you apart from others in the world, that marks you as a follower of Christ. And someone once said to me that they preferred the advice of their non-Christian friends to the advice they get at church. And why? Why? Well, because, they said, their non-Christian friends told them what they wanted to hear, but their Christian friends made them feel guilty. Now, what am I supposed to say to that? Listen to your non-Christian friends, then. Guess you'll be happier. Well, I wouldn't be honouring Christ to say that, would I? If you prefer to listen to the advice of the world about the challenges that you face, knowing that God has something different to say on a subject, then I say you are in grave danger of falling away. You know, no one reaches the heights of wickedness in a single bound. You don't just go from here to to the height of wickedness. No, you get there step by step, little by little. Evil is like that. You see it in our world today. Just keep pushing a little, pushing a little, pushing a little. We're going to change the curriculum in the schools. Push a little, push a little. We're going to change the definition of marriage. Push a little, push a little. That's how you get to real wickedness. Step by step, little by little. Now, where do I say no? It can be tricky. But once you start drifting, once you start walking in that way, you'll find, oh, well, you stop reading the Bible, you stop praying, start neglecting your duty to, to the Lord. Uh, then you'll drop out of church. You don't really mind whether you're here for one Sunday or another. Then you'll stop coming at all. And then what happens? Before long, your whole Christian life is a mess. No joy, no contentment, no peace. No blessing. It's like the story of the prodigal son, do you remember? And the son went off and spent all his inheritance on wild living. He ended up in a pigsty. I tell this story at, um, in um, scripture at schools. He ended up in a pigsty. And then at last he realised what a fool he'd been and he repented and he went back home and his father received him with open arms and with great joy. And then the elder brother at this point became embittered and he refused to join in the celebrations, effectively cutting himself off from the blessing. Can I say to you, sin is not the biggest problem in a Christian life. No, unrepentance is the refusal to turn away from sin. Because unrepentance nullifies the grace of God and shuts you out of his eternal blessings. Because it's not only the prodigal son who risked missing out on God's blessing, it's also the elder brother whose unforgiving heart and moralistic attitudes prevented him from seeing what the father was doing for that prodigal son. So what about you? Where do you stand today with the Lord? Are you willing to follow God's way? Really? I mean, really? Or will you walk in the counsel of the wicked? Because really there are only two choices here. It has to be one or the other, the way the psalm is set up. Two ways to live. The teacher is showing us the way to go if we want to live a blessed life. And he's asking you, where do you stand with the Lord? Will you follow God's way? Will you follow the way of the righteous or not? 
Again, I say, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, in Jewish terms, the law is called Torah, Torah, which means instruction, instruction for life. And now this is the second thing I want to say about being the tree. If you want to be the tree, then you need to be regular in receiving the nutrients that you need, the nutrients and the fresh water to sustain the life in Christ that God has called you to live. So you're going to need to grow down, to grow deep into God's word in order to become a fruitful, flourishing, faithful Christian. It kind of grows in both ways, as it were, just like a tree. It's a great illustration of the Christian life. Look again at verse 2. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Do you love the Bible? Do you sort of wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I've got another chance to read the Bible. At the end of the day, I'm going to put everything aside. I'm going to open up God's word and just be refreshed again in the word of the Lord. Morning and evening, morning and evening, feeding on God's word. Do you love the Bible? Or is it just on your bookshelf somewhere? A forgotten letter from a forgotten friend who's not really all that close to you and you're not all that close to him. But when you're in trouble, oh, then you'll call on him. Hey, God, I need some help. Here, help me. Yeah. Fair weather friends. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So if you want to be the tree, then you need to get this part of your life right. Perhaps this is something that you can change starting today as a follower of Christ, if that's who you claim to be. Start again today. Put down your roots deep into God's word. Anchor yourself in the truth. Don't die of spiritual anorexia. You know how to feed your body. Do you know how to feed your soul? Make a commitment to delight in God's word in 2024, to meditate on it day and night, morning and evening. Reading the Bible is as necessary to your spiritual health as bread or rice is necessary to the health of your body. And prayer, they say, is like breathing. Well, living people breathe. Do you pray? point is, if you want to live in the presence of God's blessing, then be the tree and put verse 2 into practice. Don't just look at it, live it. Carve out the time you need to read the Bible and gain an attitude for God's word. You know, people who are really, really sick lose their appetite. You know that? When they're really sick, they're too sick to even want to eat. That can be a warning sign that you're actually in very poor health as a Christian. As your pastor, I'm doing all I can to encourage you to read your Bible. That's why every Sunday we read it together in church, don't we? We have a responsive reading. Today we were reading stuff, you're thinking, well, I wonder what this is. 
because I encourage you to read every part of the Bible. That's why I preach the way I do. That's why I'm preaching this way now. I want you to read the Bible so that you might grow in your knowledge and love of the Lord. That's why our link groups meet for most of the year. We open up the word and we feed on the Bible. It's the same with men's ministry. It's the same with women's group. And just recently I've been giving out Bible reading charts and journals to our teenagers so that they can record their thoughts and prayers. And I hope to God they're doing that. Because if I've given them Bible reading charts and I've given them journals and they've said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks then we are failing in our duty and responsibility as parents and as a pastor to our younger members. Our teenagers need our encouragement and our model because if they look at us and say, well, why should I do what they're not doing? Well, we're losing the battle before we start. Read your Bible and teach others to do so unless you don't think it's important. And by the way, when you read your Bible, can I urge you to use a real Bible and not one on your phone? Don't use a digital Bible when you're reading to meditate on God's Word. That's the worst way to do it. Get yourself a real paper edition Bible with pages in it. Why? Well, because then you can mark it up and you can write in it and you can put little notes in it and you can actually start to see the footsteps of your faith through the years because you've got a Bible that you can write in and underline and mark. You know, if you only read the Bible on the phone, well, it's fast and convenient like a McDonald's meal, but it's not good for the digestion. You need to slow down and read your Bible with a page open, prayerfully in the presence of the Lord. When you do that, you can turn the pages and you can see the footsteps of your own faith over time. Well, I think I've said plenty there, but let me say this as well. Perhaps you're saying to me, well, I don't know where to begin. I hear you saying read the Bible. Well, come and see me and I'll give you one of those reading plans so that you can get started too. You might say, I've tried it all before and it didn't work. Well, now I'm encouraging you to try again. And I say, but it's so hard to do every day. And you're telling me morning and evening, are you crazy? I didn't say it was easy. Sorry. May not be easy. But I said it was good. It does get easier too as you begin to learn how relevant and real and wonderful and good God is as you read his word and as you start to see the fabric weaving together, all the promises from the Old Testament weaving into the truth about Jesus and applying to our lives. It is a wonderful thing to read God's word. The Bible is God's word and the word of God is the word of life. It is the source of life and faith and power and hope and freedom and wisdom and comfort and assurance and victory over our enemy, the devil. And it is God's good purpose for you that you should take his word and read it every day, morning and evening, to fuel the fires of Christian joy and love in your heart. But you need to do it for yourself. I can't eat your food for you. You need to do that. I can put it on a plate. I can serve it up to you on a Sunday morning. But you need to feed yourself. If you don't eat, there's nothing I can do except pray for you. 
In the end, your time is in your own hands. So make your plans, set your agenda for 2024 and stick to it. That takes time and energy and effort. It may not be easy, but it's good. Then, moving on, if you're willing, then the blessings will surely follow. For the more you delight yourself in God's word, the more you feed yourself in the scriptures, the more you will put on weight in the Christian life. So this is my third point for today, the fruitful life. You will grow in fruitfulness, and that's always exciting. You will mature in faith as a Christian, and that's always good. And as you do, you'll increasingly take on the character of our saviour, Jesus. And as you do so, people will notice. As I said, there'll be a difference and they'll love you for it or they'll hate you for it, but many will be attracted by this life that you are living because it is a life of peace and hope and joy which comes from deep within and kind of shines out from who you are. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we read in verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And this is the prosperity that this verse is talking about. It's that inner prosperity of a relationship with the Lord. It's not promising you megabucks. It's promising you a relation with the Lord, the God who owns all things. It's a wonderful promise. God promises that as you trust in him, you will receive blessings that yield their fruit in season. And then the spiritual harvest can begin. It's like a tree planted by streams of water and God then brings that refreshment and supply that yields its fruit in its season. And the results are noticeable. Some years ago, we drove out to Mungo National Park in the outback and out through the Gibber Plains and the, the deserts out there. And It's a vast and remote wilderness in the outback. I just thought I'd take one tree, which we stopped by. Uh, actually, it's on the Murray. You'd go from the Murray River and you go inland from there to Mungo National Park. But, you know, the trees out there have character. They have character because they're survivors despite all that life can throw at them. Their roots do go down deep. And they tap into the pure waters of the great artesian basin. And like the tree in Psalm 1, they are a living picture of the blessed life. And so it is with the man or woman who chooses to follow Christ. Your leaf will not wither, your fruit will not fail, but God will bring it to maturity in its proper time. By growing down deep into God's word and drinking from the life-giving waters of his spirit, you'll find life and strength and fruitfulness and joy. And this blessing is for all God's people who delight in the law of the Lord. By contrast, moving on to my fourth point, the condition of the wicked in verse 4 couldn't be more different. The teacher says they are like chaff that the wind blows away. That's God's perspective. They're just chaff, useless, worthless, windblown, unproductive in terms of God's kingdom. And really that's all that needs to be said about them. There's the chaff, yeah, being blown away. And the short term, the wealth and the prosperity of the wicked may seem to be greater than the wealth and prosperity of the righteous. But remember, the riches of God's people are not measured in dollars and cents, but in eternity. Their hope 
The hope of the wicked is only really for this life, but our hope endures forever. And you can see the evidence of this living hope, as I said, in the changing priorities of people who determine to follow the way of the righteous and who choose to follow Jesus. For example, here's some examples of things that people do when they follow Jesus. Having achieved great success in the corporate world, they may decide to give it all up and go to Bible college and end up becoming a pastor or serving as missionaries in Pakistan. They leave their careers and go and serve the Lord. Perhaps that's God's calling in your life. Or given a chance to buy a house in a new neighbourhood, Instead of thinking of how to to trade up to the best location in the best suburb in Sydney, they might choose on a completely different stand and go and buy a unit in Lakemba because that's where the gospel is needed. Would you choose a house in a less desirable suburb so that you can share the gospel there? Or despite having to endure injustice in the workplace, they might decide to love their enemies and stick it out despite the problem so that they can be a witness to Christ to other employers around them and pray for perhaps for a boss who's being unjust in some way, sticking it out not because it's easy but because it's good. Many of us are in situations where the job is far from ideal but remember who it is you're serving. They may take a less well-paying job in order to look after an elderly parent rather than following the career. The point is, why would you make a decision like this? A countercultural decision that seems to leave you worse off in the short term? Why would you want to do that? Well, that's where the power of the gospel comes in. It's the priorities of life that are changed for those who follow Jesus. Because when you think about it, didn't God do the same thing for us, actually? I mean, Jesus, didn't he give up everything for you and me? Once you realise that, it begins to make sense. You know, Jesus left his glory in heaven to accept my poverty as his. He moved into my neighbourhood from heaven to come and rescue me. He accepted the cruel injustice of being mocked and scorned and crucified, although he was innocent. And in doing so, he showed to me the real meaning of love. And so we come back to where we first began. Because the truth is, you've only got one life. You need to choose how to live it. What choices are you going to make? Whose advice are you going to follow? What goals do you want to achieve before you die? Do you want to live a life that's truly worth living to the glory of God? Then choose wisely. So my last point for today, looking at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. Therefore, this is where the rubber hits the road. Therefore, what does it say? The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. That's what you need to know to help you make your decision. See, there are two ways to live, the way of the righteous and the way of the not righteous, the wicked. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, for God glorifies himself by bringing his judgment upon them and they will fall before him. They and their ways will perish. 
They'll be brought to their knees. They'll have no part or place in the assembly of the righteous. Whatever they did in this life will come to nothing and they will be ashamed and confused and completely undone. They are not at all like that fruitful tree in verse 3, but they are like chaff that the wind blows away. When a farmer threshes wheat, the shells covering the grain are blown away and the wheat remains because the wheat is heavier and falls to the ground and can be gathered up because it has substance to the grain. Just like God is looking for substance in you, gravitas, depth of character, consistency, faithfulness. He's looking for that in you. The Apostle Paul explains it like this in Romans chapter 3. He says, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So it's a righteousness that is received as a gift from God and enters into who we are and then shapes the way we live. This righteousness is received by grace from God. Those who ignore the wisdom of Psalm 1 today are setting themselves up to fail because they will lack the weight of the glory of God in them. They will lack the righteousness of God that is received through faith in Jesus. Remember, no one is truly righteous except Jesus. No one really understands or seeks God in the way that we should except Jesus. In fact, there's only one man who's ever kept Psalm 1 perfectly, and that's Jesus. He is the truly blessed man in verse 1. Not me, not you, but Jesus. And we are blessed through him. Jesus is the man of righteousness in whose way we must walk. Through whom we are declared righteous when we put our faith in him. That's why the gospel is such good news throughout the generations and still today because when you come to Jesus, God makes a way for us to be received back into the presence and power of God's blessing, just like the prodigal son coming back into the father's home. But the choice is yours and you need to make it. You need to make it. So let's take up the invitation today to be the tree in verse 3 to walk in the way of the righteous, as God calls us to do. Remember, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Don't be deceived. In conclusion, how will I live my life today? What kind of choices will I make? Well, I urge you to choose wisely based on the wisdom of Psalm 1. And to do that, I've got three suggestions for you to take home as application points today. Number one, I think you would have picked it up by now, meditate on God's word. Read your Bible with an open heart and an open mind. Read it regularly. Read it morning and evening. Go deep into God's word to receive the sustenance that you need to live in a complex and convoluted world. Read the Bible. Meditate on God's word. Secondly, cultivate a holy life, a Christ-like life. Aim to be distinctive, not following the standards of the world. Even if all your friends are going one direction and you know it's the wrong direction, turn around and go the other way. Cultivate a holy life. 
not following the standards of the world, but following Jesus. And third, be the tree. Be the tree. Seek to be faithful and fruitful as a Christian in all you do. So meditate on God's word, cultivate a holy life, be the tree. Today you've been sitting in the school of life and you've been taught by a teacher who's far greater than me. Jesus is the real teacher in our passage today and if you want to live a life worth living, then you must learn from him. You must sit at his feet and let him be your teacher and your guide. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful passage, this extraordinary truth that is so clearly taught and yet we are so stubborn and so resistant to your will. Please humble us. Please work by your spirit that miracle of redeeming grace that we might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and not be like chaff that the wind blows away. Lord, cause us today to know that we are loved by you and to fall in love again with your word, that we might be regular in reading your word morning and evening till you come again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.